Before we start, I'd just like to uh, open with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity that we have here this morning on your Sabbath day to, to come aside from the busyness of life, to be able to come here to fellowship together and, and to study your word. We just pray this morning for your spirit here as we open your word uh, here. We just pray that uh, our hearts will be receptive and that we will understand and that our hearts will have that desire for you, Lord, I ask in your name. Amen. Okay. Um, oh, I forgot my phone. Just hang on. How many of you got one of these? Everyone. Do you ever get any messages on it? Apparently, I'm not good with messages. Uh, I'm not a fan of this thing, but I've got to have it for work because apparently I've got to be contactable and I get messages and I don't answer them. But have you ever, have you ever received any important messages? I'm sure you have. Everybody gets messages. Uh, what about a speeding fine? You ever got one of them, a message? Yep. Well, that comes in the mail, doesn't it? It's still a message, isn't it? That's pretty important. Uh, what about jury duty? Maryland got one of them there recently, so we took notice of that. Um, look, I know none of you play the lotto, but what about getting a message from the lotto office? Would that be important? It's never going to happen to me because I don't gamble at all, but I do have family members that are hanging out for it to get the message, and everything's going to be good, and he's been doing it for 20 years. Nothing's happened. Hey, um, do you have any idea how many text messages alone are sent each day? Do you know, I actually looked it up. Worldwide, every day, just on texting alone, there's over 18 billion every day. That's a lot of messaging going on. So that gets down to about 15 million messages are set every minute of every day worldwide. Okay, so that's a lot, isn't it? Do you think there would be confusion out there? Well, I come to the point because I'm older. I don't even look. I just, whatever. Because, you know, people, once they get hold of your number, they just keep sending you stuff. But messages are an important part of our lives. It, we, we all have, get a message at some stage. Maybe you could think that the message is not true. Maybe you just don't care. Maybe I'm a bit like that. Maybe you think it's a scam. Uh, I don't know, but there's messages. And they come in all shapes and forms. But sometimes, some messages we do need to take notice of. There, right in the book at the start, there in Genesis, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth and he saw that everything that they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. And so the Lord was sorry that he had ever made them and had put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I'm going to wipe this human race that I've created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing 
all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground and even the birds of the air, I am sorry that I ever made them. But Noah found favour with God. So God sent a message. He said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures for they have filled the earth with violence. I am going to wipe them off the face of the earth. So would you say that this is a serious warning? Do you need to take notice of it? Hey, you know when we get those messages about when there's a, like the fires and the floods? To, like they're trying hard to let people know to be, you know, to do things so that they're safe. Total destruction of the earth. Would you take notice? It was a warning that God was under no obligation to give. It hurt him that it even made man because they had constantly rejected his appeals and now they were going to face his judgment. Total destruction. But giving the warning is evidence of God's love and concern still for his fallen people. Noah and others had kept the knowledge of the true God. And 120 years, boys and girls, before the flood, an angel gave a message to Noah to build an ark. And while he was building, he was going to share the message. He was going to share the message of warning that the earth was going to be destroyed. We can see here that Noah himself is a man that was grounded, that could trust in God's word. Noah had never seen rain, much less a flood, and yet God told him that it was going to rain so hard that the water would destroy all the earth. It is difficult to believe a warning about something that you have never seen before. And all that Noah had to go on was God's word. He had no evidence that what God said could or even would happen. And even if judgment did come, he had to trust God's plan of salvation that it was going to work. They hadn't built a boat for it. They didn't take it for a test run to make sure that this thing was going to work. Noah hadn't even seen a boat before and it certainly hadn't been trained to be a shipbuilder. But God said that the world was going to be destroyed and that a boat built by Noah would provide the escape for Noah, the animals and his family. All that Noah had to go on was God's word and that was enough for Noah. He trusted God completely and because of God's message, Noah's life was never going to be the same. He took God seriously. He didn't play around. He didn't put it off. And God was very specific in how that boat was to be built. Probably 130 metres long. About 20-something metres wide. And about 12, 12 metres high. It's a big boat. But there were some things that weren't on that boat. Do you know the first thing that happens when you get on your cruise boat? They do a drill on how to get off the thing. And there's lifeboats. 
Noah's Ark didn't have any lifeboats. This is a one-way trip. No lifeboats. There was no plan B. If this ark didn't work, then all was lost. Noah's total faith and trust had to be in God's one means of salvation. No lifeboats. And it's the same for us. There is no plan B apart from Jesus. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, And God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. For 120 years, Noah was pulling splinters out of his hands. He probably hit his thumb. He probably cut himself. I don't know, they would have had axes and saws and things like that. But so Noah built and Noah preached and people laughed. Can you imagine? He probably didn't even have it built anywhere near the water. He's building this great big monster, probably somewhere where it was easy to work on. And could you imagine everybody going to check it out? Especially as the years went on. Like, this just wasn't a two-year project. Hey, look, if any of you ever had a house built? You all live in houses? Did you get it built? How long did it take to build? A couple of years? Look, you'd be seriously off your tree if your house took two years to build. Look, it should only take six months, shouldn't it? Hey, this bloke was at it for 120 years on the one project. Can you imagine people coming around saying, look, come on, there's something wrong here. It's not right. But they did know the truth. For 120 years he preached the truth and they chose to ignore it. He's delusional, he's lost it, he's just eccentric. I don't know, what other words could you use to describe a person working on a project like this? It's never rained. It never, never will rain. The Bible tells us that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save, to save it. But when we, re- when we refuse the truth, when we refuse to accept the messages from God, judgment will come. And what are you going to say? It's too late. I am absolutely certain that everybody wanted to get onto that boat after it started raining. 100%, guaranteed. All on. Guess what? It's left. Too late. Even as Noah was proclaiming God's coming judgement, he was building a way for them to escape. God waited 120 years for Noah to build the ark before he destroyed the earth. But God's mercy did run out and justice took over. When Jesus returns again, the earth is going to be destroyed a second time. Total destruction. God's mercy will run out and justice will take over. Will we be like Noah accepting God's messages or will we, or will we be like the people outside the ark? In 2 Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 3 to 15. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following after their own desires. And they will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? 
From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and the earth have been stored up for fire that they are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. So, dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember how Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. Part of us as a church, the Seventh-day Adventist church, is an understanding of the prophecies that we find in God's word. And that gives us the assurance that we can trust the word of God because we can look back through history and we can line this up with that and we can see how it all works. So as we look forward, we can have that confidence. But just prior to the return of Jesus, the whole world is going to hear three messages it's important that we understand these messages as they are proclaimed as three angels flying in the midst of heaven. Look, it's not rocket science to see where we are heading as people. We are moving further and further away from the truth that's found in God's word. We were once known as a Christian country. I don't think that's like that anymore here in this great country of ours. But the word of God tells us that there will be people, a group of people, that will remain faithful to God, that will keep his commandments there at the end of time. And part of our message, even as a church, as a group of people here, is to share these messages with the world. It's part of our heritage as a church. The mission of our church is to proclaim to all people the gospel of God, to all nations. And it's done in the context of these three, three messages. And so the first message is, is a call to worship the creator. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, And I saw another angel flying through the sky, carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world, to every nation, tribe, language and people. Fear God, he shouted. Give glory to him. For the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea and all the springs of water. So firstly we can see from this first message is that it's an everlasting message. God's word hasn't changed. It's been the same all the way through. And it's to be shared to who? Are we just special here? No, it's to go to all the world. And you can actually physically see that that is becoming a reality through all these different ways of being able to send messages out. You can see that, that everyone uh, will hear about the gospel. And then it talks about fear God. When we, when we hear that text, sometimes we have the wrong thinking. But fear God means to respect, to honour him and to acknowledge who he is and what he provides. It means to approach him in awe and reverence. 
to submit to him with love and devotion and obedience. It means to rely on him to serve him with dedication and integrity. It means to dwell on his holiness and glory and to turn away from the evil that sometimes we do. It means to humble ourselves before him and to adore him. Fear God and give glory to him. Giving glory means is defined as dignity, honour and worship. It means to glorify God, to glorify God is to recognise his greatness and to offer him respect by praising and adoring him because he is worthy. It means to render to God the praise, the honour and obedience which is his. Now these could be very difficult words for us because we are so fiercely independent. We like to be in control. We like to do it our way. No one's going to tell me what to do. And then he goes on to tell us that he will judge all the earth. So there's some big claims here. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14, it tells us, it's clear, if you trust the word of God, God will judge us for everything that we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Worship him that made the heaven, the earth and the sea and the fountains of water. This command calls attention to the fact repeatedly mentioned in the scriptures that everything was created by God. In Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter 45, you might like to move the screen along, boys. You're a bit behind. Isaiah, chapter 45, verse 12, slide number 8. Whoops. Okay, thank you. God says, I am the one who made the earth and created people to live on it. With my hands I stretched out the heavens and all the stars are at my command. This text is at odds with the popular thinking today, isn't it? Evolution. This angel's message, which is part of the everlasting gospel, calls for faith in a creator God. It's that simple. And yet for the majority of people, it's evolution. How does the believer of the creation account here in the first chapter of Genesis demonstrate their faith? It's by keeping the Sabbath, which is a memorial of creation. It's the fourth of the Ten Commandments that we find. And I want to read just the beginning and the end of this particular commandment. It's found where? Exodus chapter 20. Okay, verse 8. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week to do your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes, includes you, your sons, daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, any foreigners living among you. Now this is the bit that I want to highlight. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. 
It's virtually the same. It's nearly word for word the same as what we just found in that message. This message calls everyone to worship the creator. And I know here this morning we are certainly all willing to accept that message, aren't we? The second message for me was a call to loyalty. Revelation chapter 14 verse 8. Then another angel followed him through the sky shouting, Babylon has fallen, that great city is fallen, because she made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality. So it's a call to turn away from the ways of Babylon. Babylon is a symbol of religious confusion. If you trace it right back to Babel, uh, which we haven't got time here this morning. So Babylon is symbolic. It embraces the religions whose teachings and practices that, that have moved away from the word of God. Babylon, as used here in the book of Revelation, is a fitting symbol of all the professed uh, churches that have turned away from the law of God. The message of this second angel announces the fall of Babylon because they have rejected the message of the first angel. So for me, I don't see these messages as independent things. I see that they're all connected together. One flows on from the other. When it talks about immorality, at its higher spiritual level, it involves us bowing down to anything or anyone who does not have the right to accept worship. This message is a call for loyalty. With the confusion of so many belief systems that are not wholly based on the word of God, this is a message to come out of her, to come out of Babylon. Look, it's easy to go with the flow Okay? Everybody's got their truth. And it's truth for them. Like you can cook up anything you like and say it's the truth and you can believe it and it's all acceptable because that's how we've got to be now. Do you go with the flow? Look. The message is a call for people to be ready for Jesus to return. It's a call to return to the word of God and to believe his word and his commands. Are we willing to accept that message? And then there's another message. So you can see God is passionate. Not only does he give you one, not only does he give you two, but he's really going to make sure that you get the point. He's going to send another one. Three. If you get three messages, are you going to listen? I hope so. God's passionate for us as a people, isn't he? This third message is without a doubt the most severe warning the world will ever receive. It's a warning message that every person should understand. And I'm going to read it to you. Revelation 14 verse 9. Then the third angel followed them shouting, Anyone who worships the beast and its statue or who accepts his mark on the forehead or on the hand must drink of the wine of God's anger. It has been poured out full strength into God's cup of wrath. 
and they will be tormented with fire and burning sulphur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. Like, this is seriously heavy stuff, isn't it? The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and they will have no relief day or night. For they have worshipped the beast and its statue, and have accepted the mark of his name. Just imagine for a moment how you're going to stand when you've got to face God's anger. It's just total annihilation. That's it. Bible warnings should not be lightly dismissed. They dismissed it back in the time of Noah, didn't they? It's not good enough to think that there is no God. The people in Noah's day dismissed the message. The Bible says there, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The third angel's message warns against accepting this mark of the beast. He goes on to describe the torment of those who receive the mark. Surely this message cannot be serious. You could say, well, what is this mark? Well, briefly, it's Satan's counterfeit of God's way, of God's commands. This message demands a decision. It divides the world into two groups. When powers enforce a day of worship, when powers enforce things that are, not contra- that are contrary to the word of God, then an image to the beast will have been formed and all will be called to decide between showing loyalty to the law of God, allegiance to the law of God, or accepting the decree of this power. And God will honour the choice of each one of us. We all make a choice. It is where your heart, it is where your heart is, and it's the things that you do. Will you follow a convenient man-made ideas? A counterfeit worship? Will you reject the truth from God's word to follow a system that has a form of godliness but does not honour God's word, God's commands? To worship the counterfeit system, one must not only accept its authority but follow its principles. And at last camp, there's one thing that I learnt there, and it was explained very well, is that God's government has a certain way of, of operating, and he's made it very clear through his word. Okay? Righteousness, holiness. But then there's another government that has dominion of this earth, and that's Satan's government. Deceit, lie, and, and not following God's word. God's message is not to accept the mark. It's where your head is and where your hand is. Are you willing to accept this message? The first angel's message is a call to worship and obey the creator God. And I believe that the Sabbath is tied into that. The second message is for those that believe in God to forsake the way of the world and to come apart to live a life that brings glory and honour to God, being faithful to him and his commands. This last message is a divine warning to all the earth not to accept the mark, not to worship this beast power, not to give your loyalty to this power. 
So what's going to be the result of all these messages? How will people react? Will everybody want to get on the boat? I honestly believe that there will be people that will be faithful. And that's why there's a call to come out, because God's people are everywhere. There's a call to come out of Babylon. There will be a people who will be faithful in following God and his word at whatever the cost. And because of that, you're going to have to have a lot of patience. God's people must endure persecution patiently, obeying his commands and maintaining their faith in Jesus. This is not going with the flow. This is standing up for God. This text tells us that it will be a big test of faith. Will we be faithful as Noah was? Where are we today? Are we 120 years still to go? We don't know. Are we looking forward to Christ's second coming? Or have we got tired of hearing about such things? And nothing's happened anyway, so don't worry about it. Maybe you find it hard to accept that God is a God of judgment when we're always preaching that God is a God of love. In Matthew chapter 24, 38 and 39, For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Look, the word of God gives us confidence in the future. We know that God does not want anyone to be lost and that's why it justifies this warning. The messages aren't going to change. They're not going to go around on all the Bibles and cut it out. But are we going to have a faith like Noah, trusting God, faithfully obeying him in everything that he's asked us to do? In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. We are his children. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognise that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure and just as he is pure. It is part of God's plan that we all belong to his family. That's God's plan. He doesn't want anybody to be lost. He has a place for each one of us in his heart. But God created in us the freedom to choose. Do you want to be a citizen under his government or do you want to be a citizen under Satan's government? Because love requires freedom of choice. And God is a God of love. You have to decide to belong. In Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 to 9, and I'm just going to read the first and end verse because of time. Imitate God therefore in everything we do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse their, these sins. 
for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in, in, these, uh, in the things that these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. What do we need out in the world today? We need good. We need to do the right thing. And we need to tell the truth. In all of us, I believe that there is a hope for something better than what our own experience has taught us. And I believe that that heads us on the right path. And, in, and I love this little bit, and I think it's found in Matthew chapter 5, where it talks about there is a narrow path and a wide path. Okay, It's the narrow path that leads to life, but that's that one that's hard to find. But that's the one that leads to life. And as I've shared this with you this morning, this is a narrow path. It's not an easy pathway. But most people are on the wide path. We should never forget what God has done for us through his plan of salvation by sending his one and only son. He put the rescue mission into place himself. These messages that he has sent for us today are messages of hope from a God that loves you. These messages can give us confidence that God is calling people back to him to be part of his family because he doesn't want anyone to be lost. He wants each of us here today to be a light, bringing hope to the world. These messages are being given before Jesus can come again. How much longer will God wait before he comes again? We don't know. We can only look at the signs. But God wants each of us to be a people that are loyal, that have integrity, that are faithful and obedient. The world will continue to eat, drink, plant, build, have families and plan for the future. That summarises all of us. That's life. But time is running out and probation will close for the world and judgement will come. This time it's going to burn. Last time it flooded, this time it's going to burn. Are we willing to believe these messages? Are you willing to share these messages? Look, as you know, I'm in the building trade. It is pretty up there when you're out on site, okay? Uh, To maintain any stance of being a Christian sometimes can draw, uh, you know, some certain comments. Are you willing to share these messages? I encourage you to stand like Noah, believing the messages. I believe that we should study God's word to understand his word, to understand these messages. And I believe that if we ask God, he will send his spirit to help you to understand. Are we going to have trust? Can you trust anymore? Sometimes trust is a difficult thing in this world in which we live. But God wants us to trust him. But he wants us to be obedient to him in everything that we do. And we should hang on to some of the beautiful promises. And in closing, there's just one text there. I think it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. You all need to have it welded into your brain. For for no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even imagined what God has prepared for those that love him. That's the deal.
It's that good. Amen.